All right. Thank the Lord for our worship team, huh? Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. I was in my office earlier, and all of a sudden I heard a saxophone. I said, yes, Jessica's back. So... So that's, uh, that's uh, yeah, I, I've told you more than once. It's the only reason I come here is hear Jessica play her sax. So, so just keep her playing. I guess you're stuck with me. I'll hang around while she's playing. So la- la- last Sunday was that Super Bowl game, right? And they, we settled for all time who the greatest of all time is. The GOAT, G-O-A-T, greatest of all time, right? Yeah, that's still debated. I had to laugh this week. Uh, some several people early in the week were posting on Facebook about Tom Brady being the goat, the greatest of all time, and everyone was kind of celebrating. Well, the people, Tom Brady fans, were all celebrating. And then one of my one of my fans posted a picture of an old kind of grizzled-looking dude with his hands wrapped around the handle of a baseball bat. Some of you might have seen this on my Facebook page. And so here's this old grizzled baseball player with his hands wrapped around the handle of his baseball bat. And uh, Yogi Berra played uh, catcher for the Yankees. I think managed for a few years too, didn't he? And so he had his hands wrapped around the bat like this. And if you counted carefully, there were ten rings on those fingers. And one of my friends said, hey, Yogi needs more fingers. (laughs) And so last Sunday we talked about greatness, if you remember. And uh, I shared a little bit about my dream of greatness and quickly discovered I'm pretty average at most sports that I've played. And uh, I felt great yesterday riding my bike in 22 mile an hour winds out in Joshua Tree. That was kind of exciting. But John the Baptist, in contrast to the desire of the human heart for greatness, um, pushed against that. And when he was asked about who he was, it was always, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. And if you remember, I told you last week that the angel at John's uh, birth announcement, when the angel spoke to his father, Zechariah, the message was that John the Baptist was going to be great in the sight of the Lord. Now, if you're going to be great, isn't that a great place to be? To be great in the sight of the Lord. And Jesus himself said that John was the greatest man ever born to women. And so last Sunday, we began to explore this idea of greatness a little bit. And I guess I got wound up because I only finished my first point. And uh, we talked about the fact that what made John great was that he was a way maker. He made the way for people. He made the way for Jesus in the lives of people. That's what John did. That's all John did. I told you that he was a herald. He came in advance of the king, that's the job of the herald, to go ahead of the king and proclaim that the king is coming. And the herald presents a message of what the king has told him to say. And so John was a way maker, and his first task was to prepare people for Jesus to come. And I suggested to you last week that there's things that probably need to be happening in your life and my life if we're going to be preparing the way in people's lives for Jesus. And, and I had a list of five things that I don't have totally memorized, so I need to go back over here to my notes. But we talked about the importance of living a godly life that's different. You don't need to be perfect, right? Just follow Jesus. Just follow Jesus. As my friend Neil Cole says, I told you last week, listen to Jesus and what? Do what he says. 
And so we want to live a life that honors Jesus. Uh, we want to know what God wants us to say. I need to be able to share my story of what God's done in my life and be able to tell people the gospel message of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. We need to know how to do that. And we need to be comfortable doing that. And if we, if we aren't, we, we, need, we need to learn how to do that. Um, I suggested we need to develop a sensitivity to the obstacles in people's lives. And, and sometimes those obstacles are other Christians. Sometimes it's misunderstandings. But there's obstacles that, that hinder people. Uh, I suggested to you last week we need to take advantage of the Holy Spirit's power that He promised to give us, right? He's going to give us power and enable us to do that. I was encouraged some time ago when someone told me, um, have you ever noticed that Jesus told people they didn't need to plan ahead what they were going to say, that the Holy Spirit was going to give them the words to say? Is that kind of scary? Is it kind of scary to go into conversation with a non-saved person and trust totally the Holy Spirit to show you what to say? Is that, is that a little scary? It's a little scary. But does God honor that? I think He does. He has in my life. And uh, I'm grateful for that. So we need to be able to develop those kinds of things. I talked about genuinely caring for people. And I told you my story about my friend Solomon. And uh, do we need to believe that one person can make a difference? And I suggested to you that it's a privilege that God has given to you and me to prepare the way for Jesus in the lives of people. And by the way, I have something to help you do that. We have boxes of masks. Now, some of you don't wear a mask and never will, and that's fine. But guess what? If your neighbors knew that you had masks, they would come out of the woodwork to get them. Why do I say that? Last week, I gave away 72 of these. And so, uh, next door, neighbor to the north, two neighbors to the south. And there's an app that you can use. Anyone on next door? One person, Maggie. Is that it? Got another hand back there. If you go on next door, now this is going to be an issue for you. Trust me, I'm going to have to buy a whole bunch of them. I mean, don't buy them, I get them. These are gifts. Um, but if you go on next door and simply put the words, got masks, question mark. I have masks available for free. They, people come out of the woodwork. I gave away 72 of these last week. And I didn't have opportunity to share the gospel with all 72 people. But the opportunity in the name of Jesus to bless people with a simple thing that is in high demand. I felt sorry for the lady this morning that posted on Nextdoor that she also had masks available for five bucks. <laughs> and so... Uh, anyway, our, uh, our outreach commission uh, met this last week, and they're thinking and praying and planning and strategizing. How could we use these masks? How could we use these things to advance the kingdom? And uh, so there's a whole bunch of these up here, and uh, you might just take a couple of boxes if you want. I've got more in my office, uh, and that I'll have to get more because they're going to go quick. Um, but you could just go to a neighbor knock on the door, and give them a box of masks in the name of Jesus. Just preparing the way, opening the door. God wants to do that, and He's privileged us to prepare people for Jesus to come into their lives. The second thing that John the Baptist did that strikes me in this passage, and that you and I need to do as waymakers, is that we also need to proclaim the need for repentance. 
John had a baptism of repentance, is what the scriptures say. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And notice that in this passage as we read again, uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Just as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I am sending my messenger before you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching, saying, After me one is coming uh, who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to bend down and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John came preaching a baptism of repentance. That people who repented were baptized. Interestingly, as we move along, we're going to discover that Jesus came preaching the same message. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, when you hear the word repent, what do you think of? What comes to your mind? Is that a positive word or a negative word? You know, for most people, that word repent has kind of a lot of negative overtones, I fear. The word repent is a very positive word. Because the basic idea of repentance is that someone changes their mind. And ultimately, when you change your mind, what else should change? Your behavior, your life, what you do. And so the idea of repentance is that someone comes to an understanding that their understanding of God has been wrong in error. And they repent and change their mind about what they believe about God. And Maggie, you kind of touched on that a little bit in introducing that one song. A lot of people misunderstand who God is. They misunderstand God's nature and God's character. And so one, one comes to repentance, they need to change their mind about what they believe about our God. They need to change their mind about what they believe about Jesus. They need to change their mind about sin. And what is sin? And what is that issue of disobedience in our lives that, that separates us from God? They, they need to understand that and change their mind and change their behavior. We need, they need to change their mind about God, about Jesus, about sin, and need to change their mind about salvation. The average person you talk to on the street today, what's their understanding about how to get to heaven? Got to be good. Live a good life. And the gooder you live, the better your assurance is of heaven, right? I just made up that word, word gooder. You probably noticed that. And almost every single person that I've ever talked to about the gospel has their understanding in line with the great theologian Oprah Winfrey. All, all roads lead to heaven. doesn't matter what path you're on. They all get there. And you just need to be a good person, live a good life. People need to understand that that's not the truth. That you can't be good enough to earn your way and make your way to heaven, right? We all understand that. But the average person on the street, that's not what they're thinking about. And so repentance has to do with the changing of mind, the changing of behavior, what they believe and how they act. So when John came baptizing people in a baptism of repentance, he was baptizing people who heard his message 
understood they needed to change the direction they were going and go the other direction. They needed to repent and change. That's why John talks about fruits of repentance. What is it ultimately that proves that somebody has repented and come to faith? It's a change of life. It's a change of life. And so if someone's life doesn't change when they say they've repented and come to faith in Jesus, it ought to raise the question of have they really come to faith, right? Hopefully you can look back on your life and realize that when, when you came to understand the gospel and put your faith and trust in Jesus, your life changed. Your life was different. Now, some of you, you're like me, and you came to faith when you were a child. I think I was five or six. And so my, my criminal career was pretty brief. And, uh, but still, there was a change that took place in my life. Now, others of you that came to, came to Christ in your youth or even as adults, um, you, many of you had dramatic changes in your life. Some maybe not as dramatic. But regardless, John's message was... Produce fruits of repentance. Evidence of a changed life. What was the other evidence that someone came to faith? Baptism. There you go. I was just going to say, it was a baptism of repentance. So, for John and his ministry, and ultimately for Jesus and the apostles, and on through the apostle Paul and and so on, those who came to faith were baptized. And so, the, the whole idea of baptism... The the root idea of baptism is identifying yourself with a message or identifying yourself with a person. So someone who is baptized in John's ministry was baptized in recognition of what? Repentance. They had changed their mind and they were embracing the message of John the Baptist. The clearest illustration I can give you of baptism Do you remember a woman in the Bible in Acts chapter 16 named Lydia? She was a businesswoman, and her business was, final Jeopardy question, her business was seller of purple. Thank you. And so she was a woman who sold purple cloth. And in that industry of cloth and selling cloth, um, the cloth that was produced was not purple, it had to be dyed. And so when the cloth was placed into the vat of dye, and it came out purple, the word that was used to describe that process of dipping the cloth into the dye and coming out purple, the word that was used to describe that is the word baptism. And so one of the core ideas of being baptized is that you are identifying with Jesus in his death and his burial and his resurrection. And one of the reasons, uh, biblically, that we baptize, the, the mode that we use where we baptize someone in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, is we're recognizing the truth and the reality that all three persons of the Godhead the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit play an important role in salvation, right? God is the one who, it's His plan, it's His idea. Aren't you glad for that? We sang about that this morning. This is all God's idea. You know, Peter didn't dream this up. Paul didn't, this is God's idea. 
And it's the Holy Spirit, the Scripture says, that convicts us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws us to Jesus. And Jesus, of course, is the one who paid the price for our salvation on the cross. And so when we're baptized, we're identifying ourselves with Jesus and His death and His burial and His resurrection. And I might just add as kind of a side note to that, if you've never been baptized, this is a good reminder of the opportunity and the joy we would have to see you baptized. If you've never been baptized, come and talk to me, talk to one of our elders. We'd love to, to, to do that and to have you have that opportunity. Um, what I always like to do when someone chooses to be baptized is I want to make it the most significant strategic event on the planet that's taking place in that moment in time. And when someone comes to be baptized, I always want to encourage them I want you to invite your family. I want you to invite your friends. I want you to invite your neighbors. I want you to invite your enemies. I want you to invite everybody that you have contact in in your life to come and watch you be baptized. Why? Because they're taking a public stand in identification with Jesus. And in that moment is an opportunity for them to share with us, their church family, and with their family and friends, the fact that they have chosen to repent and put their faith and trust in Jesus. Is that worth celebrating? Absolutely. And so if you've never been baptized, uh, I encourage you to do that. I think alongside of that, uh, just another side note, um, if you've not yet become a member of the church, there's an opportunity here just to encourage you. Um, we'd love to have you be an official kind of card-carrying member of the family. Uh, this is a little secret of mine. Don't tell the elders I told you this. But I kind of consider anybody who comes here all the time to be a member, whether they've ever signed on that dotted line. Don't tell the elders I said that. Um, I just kind of feel like we're all in this family together. But there's a value to taking a public stand and saying, I want to be a part of this family. I'm in. Uh, my friend Tom Hughes, a uh, pastor for many years, our church in Whittier, and uh, was on our staff in Long Beach. He used to share, his, his analogy of church membership was the difference between living together and getting married. And I kind of like that analogy, that the commitment of saying, I'm here, I'm part of the family, I want to be part, I'm here. Baptism, church membership. So those are all side notes. We need to be people who are proclaiming, like John the Baptist, the message of repentance. You don't just come to Jesus without coming with an understanding that I've been wrong. The things I've believed, the things I've embraced, the way I've lived my life have been wrong. And I'm changing my mind and my behavior and going the other way. I'm putting my faith and my trust in Jesus. I like to describe repentance this way. It's like someone tosses you a live hand grenade. What are you going to do with that thing? Man, you better get rid of that quick. If you hang on to that hand grenade, you're gone. You better get rid of that thing. What are you hanging on to it so long for, Eddie? Get rid of that thing. Too late. Too late. You're gone. So, repentance is having a live hand grenade and getting rid of that thing as fast as you can. And so we come to Jesus, and aren't you glad for that passage of Scripture that says, if any man be in Christ, he's what? A new creation. Old things are passed away, and all things have become new. That's one of the greatest promises of the Scriptures. 
One of the greatest promises. Philippians 1.6 says, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It is a done deal. I don't know about you, but I'm glad for that. I'm very, very glad for that. And so we need to prepare the way for Jesus in people's lives. We need to proclaim a message of repentance. Do you have my chart, David, that um, I put up? There it is. Well, man, you're on quick. So if you look at this chart, people that you talk to and people that you encounter at, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, family or whatever, um, you're going you're to find there somewhere. My friend Nate Mirza was a campus missionary with um, the Navigators for many, many years. And uh, when I was pastoring our church in Modesto, um, he shared this with me one day at lunch, and I thought it was really good. Because you're going to meet people that are atheists, right? And the atheist is the one who says what? There is no God. Uh, the agnostic is the one who says, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, I find there's two kinds of a- a- agnostics. One's the an- antagonistic agnostic, and, and the other one is really open. And probably the antagonistic one, uh, you're gonna have, that's a tough nut to crack. But if you meet someone who says, I don't know, but they're open to information, guess what? There's a lot of information. And so you're going to meet people like that. You're going to find people that are bitter. Why are people, people bitter toward God? Why? could be the circumstances of life. They've had a, a life event that was a tragedy. Someone, someone passed away. Someone was injured. Someone had some kind of a strange, bizarre disease. But there's something that's embittered them. More likely, at least in my life experience, the people I meet that are embittered all have one thing in common. They used to go to church. And they've been embittered. And... Uh, they're not going to church. They're not walking with Jesus, whether they're saved or not. I don't know. God knows. But they're, 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 there's people that just aren't interested. You ever talk to someone, try to share your faith with someone? They have zero interest. Not interested in conversation. Uh, for many years, I was involved in uh, international students ministry at the University of Laverne. And every Tuesday afternoon, we would go and have conversation with international students and uh, try to form relationships and, and help them with English and out of that have opportunity to share the gospel. And I still remember uh, my friend Yoshke um, trying to have conversation with him. And he was just uninterested. And he was from Japan. And I began to understand and some of the struggles that our missionaries in Japan have. Uh, my friend Cecil O'Dell, who has ministry with, with Japanese students here at the University in Long Beach and Dominguez Hills and in the, in the area here, one of our missionaries that we love and support, um, Yosuke reflected to me the fact that in Japan, these aren't topics we discuss. We don't talk about faith. We don't talk about God. We don't, we don't have those conversations. And it was so frustrating because he was such a, he was just, he was just a great guy, and I loved talking to him and his wife and having conversation. But she would let me talk to her about spiritual things, and he was just totally uninterested. Is that frustrating? If you've talked to people like that, you've experienced that. Um, then you, hopefully you find some people that are a little curious. Maybe they've got questions, things they misunderstand, and God gives you opportunity to share with them. Um, 
a lot of people are misled. They've got a, a lot of wrong information. A lot of these people listen to Oprah, and they think all roads lead to heaven. All roads lead to God. Just, it doesn't matter what you believe. Believe this, believe that. It's all going to work out, you know. They're misled. And then I love it when I finally have an opportunity to talk to someone who's actually seeking and asking honest questions. Those are the, those are the, those are the people ultimately. And so, ideally, if you have a long-term relationship with somebody, it's a wonderful thing if you can see them move from bitter and uninterested and so on. Because ultimately, we want to lead people as we prepare them for Jesus coming into their lives. We want them ultimately to meet God on His terms, not their terms. And so that was the ministry of John the Baptist. He was preparing the way in people's lives. He was proclaiming uh, this message of repentance, uh, of changing their minds, changing their lives, and, and coming to faith. And then my third thought as I look at John the Baptist, uh, the, the thought that struck me was point people to Jesus and then get out of the way. <laughs> you know, a lot of times we get in the way of the gospel message of people's lives. And it's fascinating to me that John kept trying to get out of the way. They would say to John, uh, are you the expected one? And John would say, that's not me. I'm John. I'm not the Messiah. Are you the prophet? No, nope, not a prophet. Are, are you the... And every time the question was asked, what was John's response? I'm, I'm not worthy to untie. There's one coming. There's one coming. He's mightier than me, and I'm not worthy to stoop down and tie his sandals. And so John's constantly trying to get out of the, out of the way, out of the limelight. And one of my favorite passages of Scripture is where Jesus comes walking along the Jordan River. And, and John points to Jesus, and he says those phenomenal words. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Wow. John pointed people to Jesus and then got out of the way. And somehow we need to learn to do that. I don't know, sometimes I feel like I get in the way. I, I'm, I'm over-anxious to persuade them or over-anxious to convince them. And I'm kind of in the way. Point people to Jesus and get out of the way. That's what John did. And if you follow the, the ministry of Jesus from that point... It was Andrew, Andrew and John, who followed Jesus home after, after John the Baptist pointed him out. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. One of the things that impresses me is that oftentimes it's true that people are attracted to you before they're attracted to Jesus. And so the, the life that you and I live as God's children as followers of Jesus, as we follow Him, we need to discover ways to be more attractive to people. Charles Colson, one of the things that he said many, many times in his ministry, and you're all familiar with uh, Colson's story, I assume, coming to faith in prison and developing uh, prison fellowship ministry and all that grew out of that. Uh, he had this phrase that he used a lot, that, that we as Christians need to be winsome. We need to be winsome. We need to be attractive to other people. Winsome in our behavior. And I kind of like that. I like that idea of being winsome. And so I created this little list of uh, what, what, how can I be more winsome? And, and one of the first things that struck me is, 
I need to cultivate attitudes in my life. Uh, Being a positive person, there's nothing less attractive, I think, than someone who grumbles and complains all the time. Do you have any friends in your life, any people in your life that you just know when you talk to them, they're going to be grumbling and complaining about something? Is that attractive? Does that just make you want to spend time with them and get to know them better? You know, not me either. But there's times in my life when I find I'm kind of guilty of being that grumbler and complainer person. And I don't, I don't think that honors the Lord, nor is it attractive to, to non-believers. Paul said it this way in Philippians 2.14, Do all things without grumbling and complaining, that you may prove to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. It's that grumbling and complaining that dims the light. And so I need to cultivate those those positive attitudes in my life that are attractive to people. A A second thing that strikes me when I think about what's attractive is how we respond to the difficult things in life. How do we respond when the tragedy happens? How do we respond when illness strikes? How do we respond when that car accident takes place? How do we respond when we're wronged in a, in a, in the, in a court case or wronged in whatever way? How do we respond? Is that attractive to people? James says in James chapter one, count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, right? Is that easy to do? Count it all joy when you encounter various trials? You find that to be easy, Tom? Yeah, me neither. Thank God for His Holy Spirit to help us, right? Amen. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience or perseverance have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so how we respond to, to those uh, circumstances... Um, my third thought is having more interest in them, their lives, their things, than what matters to me. You know, so often we get excited about what's important to us. We get excited about what we value, whether it's an activity, a sport, or whatever. Um, becoming more interested in what's important to other people is attractive. If all I talk about all the time is cycling and you don't care about cycling, I have to throw in football every once in a while, right, to keep some of you on track because you don't care about cycling, you've never watched a cycling race, you never will, you don't care. But if I talk about football, at least, you know, a couple of you, a few of you are a little more tuned into that. We need to be concerned about what concerns others that we, that we want to reach. And my message always needs to be just like John. Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. The gospel message is attractive. The gospel message is appealing. The fact that you can, you can look people in the eyes and tell them, God loves you. You can look people in the eyes and say, God wants relationship with you. God wants to know you in a meaningful and personal way. And then to be able to share in that context the, the sin that separates us from God and hinders that relationship from happening. 
and what God did to solve the problem in the person of Jesus. I'll never forget years ago, one of my friends telling me he had gone to a new doctor in town, a dermatologist, and had opportunity in that conversation to share spiritual things. And in that conversation, David had the opportunity to ask Paul this question. And he said, what if? What if the whole purpose of life was to know God? To know Him in a very real and very personal way. And you missed it. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? And the answer to that question is what? Absolutely. And it was that question that stirred Dr. Paul to pursue truth and ultimately to come to faith in Jesus. And I've met few men on this planet who are greater, Paul, greater prayer warriors than Dr. Paul. But it was that question, what if? What if the whole purpose of life is to know God? To know Him in a very real and very personal way. And you missed it. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? And so we have a, a message to share, a message of hope, a message of help. And uh, we just need to point people to Jesus and get out of the way. And so greatness came to John the Baptist, even in conception, said he was going to be great in the sight of God. Jesus said he was the greatest ever born, greatest man ever born. He was a way maker. And God wants you and me to be way makers in the lives of Jesus. That's what God wants. And so I asked myself the question, how do I compare to John the Baptist? And I ask you that question this morning. How do you compare? Am I a way maker? Have I been a way maker in someone's life? Am I a way maker now in anyone's life? Is there anyone in your circle of life that you're making way for Jesus? Is there anyone in your circle of life that you're regularly praying for that God will give you? Remember praying for Bob? Pray for boldness. Pray for opportunity. Pray for, pray for a burden for lost people. Pray for opportunity. Pray for boldness. Is there anybody in your circle that you're a way maker for or should be? 150,000 people die every day on this planet. That's two people every second. Two people every second pass away. How many of, how, how many of those are on their way to heaven? How many of those are on their way to hell? God has called us, just like John the Baptist, to be a waymaker in the lives of people. Am I preparing a way for Jesus in anyone's life? Who am I near that He wants me to prepare the way for? <laughs> and I ask myself, is my life attractive to others? Who am I currently attracting to Jesus? And I'm thinking there about my grumbling and complaining thing. 
Am I prepared with the gospel message to share it with somebody? You know, it's not my job and it's not your job to get people saved, right? You understand that? That's the job of the Holy Spirit. We're just messengers like John the Baptist, just heralds proclaiming the message. It's the Holy Spirit that draws people to Jesus. He convicts of sin and of righteousness and and of judgment. I pray for people that God would open their heart. I love that phrase in Lydia's life in Acts chapter 16 where it says that Paul went and met with those women on the riverside there in Philippi and God opened Lydia's heart. And if God doesn't open someone's heart, guess what? Not much you can do about it. That's God's job. My job and your job is just to communicate the message and ask God to to open people's heart. What one thing does God want to change in my life today, your life, to make me a better way maker? Is there something God wants to change in your life today, this week, my life, make us better way makers? My friend Paul Hoffman tells the story of a young man who was a drummer in a band. And it was out of that context of music and, and the music of the world and a drummer uh, that he came to faith and came to know Jesus as his Savior. And he grew in his faith and went to Bible school. And, and in the context of his training in Bible school, a local church asked him to come and be their youth pastor. And so this young man in Bible school went to this church to serve them as their youth pastor. And he began going out into the local neighborhoods and, and contacting the kids, the youth at the local junior high and the high school in the neighborhood and, and bringing them to the church. And over the course of, of, of one year, he had reached more than a 100 young people in the community surrounding the church. And they fired him. Because the, the parents of the original kids in the youth group didn't want their kids exposed to those kids out there and besides those kids out there are kind of messy and they mess up the church and what happens so oftentimes and this is true in churches and it happens in our own lives is we become more focused on what we want what we think we need than what jesus wants what does jesus want what's at the top of his list people would come to faith that they would repent of sin and turn and put their faith and trust in Jesus. That's what God wants. That's what Jesus wants. And again, He privileges us to be way makers into people's lives. Lord, help us to do that. Even in this time of uh, this pandemic thing where we're separated, You still place people around us. You place us near people that need to know Jesus. And I pray that you would give us a fresh appreciation for the value of being a way maker. The value of making a way for Jesus in people's lives. Help us to be men and women whose lives are attractive, that are winsome. Cause us to have a greater burden for those that are lost. Cause us to not only pray for opportunity and to seek opportunity, but to seize opportunity. That you would give us boldness to speak the name of Jesus and to share His message. Lord, I pray that you would make me 
a little bit more like John the Baptist. I pray that you would make each one of us here in this room and each one of those that are online with YouTube, make us just a little bit more like John the Baptist as we seek to follow Jesus this year. Might we also follow in the footsteps of John the Baptist, that we would be those who are making way for Jesus in the lives of people. Help us to do that by your Spirit. Empower us, enable us, is our prayer together in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us? I'm going to give you a little challenge that might help you out. Um, I said a couple weeks back that I had a friend that lost her 18-year-old son, same age as Marie. And I've noticed that every day, since she, after about a week, she's been posting on Facebook either a verse or something about her son and how much he loved Jesus or a song or something like that. And, and I'm going to challenge you this week to every day in your social media, if you have it, I want you to post either a verse or a chorus from a song that really speaks to you, that really shares what Jesus is, or a YouTube video link, something like that. Because I notice that. I see my friends, like, every day post a verse, post a verse, post a verse. And I'm like, you know, that's how many people have we heard that just came to Christ just from the Word of God, right? They just saw it. We don't know what we're gonna, how we're going to reach. And I know those people are looking at my friend Martha because they're like, how do you handle this? Your son is dead. You know, and she's putting all these things out about hope and hope in Jesus. And I have a hope in Jesus, and I'm still sad, but I have a hope in Jesus. And I know it means a lot to people, and it's going to reach a lot of people. So I want to challenge you. Who's going to take the challenge? I'm going to try. Who's going to try? Daniel said he's, he's got his hand like this. He's got social media, man. He's the bomb. All right. And I love this song. It's more like a hymn. It is newer, but I think you can sing it along with us. It's really powerful how deep the Father's love for us.
All right, it's been a good morning, hasn't it? It's been a great morning. We've celebrated our love for each other. We've celebrated God's love for us. And uh, this pile of masks in front of me is ready for you to claim if you wish. Inside each box, there's a hundred masks in a box. Inside each box are ten uh, groups of ten wrapped in cellophane. So you can give out ten or you can give out a box, whatever people want. Um, I started trying to give them out as individual packets of ten and everybody wanted boxes. So it'll be interesting to, to see what you find. But it's an opportunity to prepare the way in someone's life. So do that. Have a great week. And be sure to pick up your Valentine's cookies or Tim and I are going to have to eat them all this week. So uh, grab a cookie. And uh, if you didn't order one, like I said, there's some extras. Grab one. And uh, maybe even take a cookie to somebody as a gift of Jesus' love for them. Have a great week.